0: What up, YouTube? It's your boy Banks, and we back in the building. You feel me? It's true talks because true talks, all right? Let's get straight right into it. And obviously, you already know if you haven't been paying attention, it's been definitely a world win um, in terms of just free agency in the NBA. You know, it's been. <laughs> a lot of a lot of moves there's been trades there's been obviously sign-ins and you know trade requests obviously there's been a lot of things going on and you know obviously the NBA world and the fan base you know has been in a storm and has been in an uproar in the last what week or so couple of days all of that right and you know I'm just going to do my best to kind of just do a su- sum it all into one in terms of what my thoughts are on the the biggest kind of trades that's happened and, you know, signees that's happened, things that are, are they impactful in a positive way or are they detrimental? And it's like, why are they doing this, right? So if you haven't understood, I already did talk about, you know, the whole Kevin Durant trade, you know, fiasco. I already talked about that, you know, how he demanded a trade request, the actual IQ behind that, where a lot of people aren't really assessing it from that perspective. And it's a new perspective or a perspective that, A lot of people haven't really just dove into and, you know, rightfully so. Everybody are looking at this from an on the court basketball perspective where they're obviously going to just flame and destroy KD because they are looking at this from a basketball on the court perspective and not from a business organization versus player perspective. So that's something that I highlighted in that, you know, if you haven't checked it, checked it out, go check it out, you know, click it and go look at it, you know what I'm saying? But for the most part, besides that, obviously I talked about the trade request in depth over there, and right now I'm going to talk about just the certain trades that have happened where it's kind of like, is this a great, is this bad, is this shake the NBA a little bit, you know, what does this do? Does this move the needle for the team in a positive direction, etc.? So, you know, I'll go with the small, the small crucial ones but that are very impactful I'm going to talk about before I talk about the main ones. Um... One that's under the radar that's definitely a great one is PJ Tucker just signing. PJ Tucker signed a three-year deal, thirty-three mil with the Sixers. That's definitely a great, a great signee for the Sixers and upgrade. Especially now, you basically got you know, um, I'm pretty sure someone else. I forgot who, but I'm pretty sure someone else also went there um, from Houston. Um, I pretty, I'm. Is it, what's his name? Uh, I forgot who it is, but anyways. PJ Tucker went there, you know. Obviously, he has a relationship with Harden, where he played in Houston. And for the most part, you had um you had Thibel and you had who was there for? It was basically Thibault. It was um they had Maxi, Harden, Tobias, and um Thibel, I think for the most part, came off the bench, but sometimes he started, and that was kind of like a weakness at the four, right? For the most part, and you know with Embiid as what well the five, so. Um, you want to have a 3-and-D guy. Obviously, they had Danny Green as well there too, but you want to have a 3-and-D guy. So when you have, you know, Maxi James Harden or James Harden Maxie 1-and-2, whatever, you still have Tobias. Now you have P.J. Then you have Embiid. P.J. Tucker, great defensive capabilities, but he also is a 3-and-D guy, right? He has improved his three-point shot, hit the corner three for the most part, does a lot of the little things, Gets in, you know, guards the best defender at the four or the three. You know, for the most part, gets in their grill, wreaks havoc. um, And then not only that, he's been hitting floaters, cutting at the right time, offensive rebounds. Like, he does all the little things, you know, to a T. So when you look at it from that perspective, this is definitely an upgrade for the Sixers. And then just that camaraderie, that chemistry, you know, with James Harden as well, too. And James Harden, again, he hasn't re-signed fully. He obviously opted out. He declined his player option to know so they have more money to kind of, you know, uh, to just more money to room with more flexibility. Right. So, you know, he's probably going to sign back with them for a lesser deal. And that's obviously still we haven't got the reports on that. that hasn't happened. But again, just P.D. Tucker is just definitely just an improvement, a drastic improvement for the Sixers right away. And that's a steal because, again it's even an addition by subtraction. You taking them away from the Bucs, taking them away from potentially, you know, don't know what's going on with the Nets, but if you was to sign with the Nets, taking them away from the Heat, like that's definitely an upgrade, right? Just by subtracting from another team. So that in itself is definitely, you know, a positive thing for the Sixers and Sixers fans should be happy because they definitely had some weaknesses defensively. And, you know, he adds to that. So when you add that, that's a great addition for them and again another sleeper that's going under the radar is um the Kevin Herter trade. Obviously Kevin Herter was definitely a skilled um shooter and a skilled scorer with the uh, you know uh, uh, compiled with Trey Young, but you can see that the Hawks, especially we'll talk about their bigger trade to happen, but you can see that they're trying to change the dynamics where everything is Trey Young. In their offense where it's like the Trey young Luca offense where everything is trey young he just has the ball ball handle ball handle ball handle everybody else is spot up and then kind of they score off of the trey young dynamic and you want to have multiple ball handlers you want to have you know multiple ball handlers but then the other guys are more locked in as three and d guys right where herder plays decent defense but he's he's more so an offensive um um just he's more sort of an offensive threat more than a defensive threat right He's not just a 3-and-D guy. So you could see the blueprint for a majority of these teams moving forward is like you have one, two, three, maybe ball handler, scores, skilled guys, and then the rest are like extreme, above average 3-and-D guys. So then you have a hierarchy that's kind of instilled within the, or the offensive system where these guys are just going to play the role spot up and they catch and shoot, right? And then they play defense and mo- and they don't have to get you know, step backs and scores and ISOs. They don't have to get those type of situations. They could just spot up and they're okay, right? So that creates a hierarchy and you're having your main guys have the ball and make the decisions in an every play basis, right? And that's the dynamic. You've seen that with, you know, even just the Luka offense, right? You've seen that with the James Harden offense. You've seen that with a plethora of these offenses. You've seen that even with the Suns. Whereas like Chris Paul and D-Book and then everybody else kind of eats dependent pendant off of them. But you see you don't have a plethora of clashed. It's the same thing even with the Celtics. Everything is Jalen uh, Brown and Jason Tatum and everybody else 3 and D and whatever. And you fit in where you fit in. So that's kind of the blueprint that you see a lot of these guys implement. But again, being on a defensive string and having that defensive capabilities with these guys that can shoot the three goes, you know, does wonders in this newer era. So um, when you look at it from that perspective, Kevin Herter being traded to the Sacramento Kings for Justin Holiday, a, def- a definitely a three-and-D specialist, and then Mar- Maurice Harkless. He lacks more on the shooting, but he's a defensive specialist. But his role is going to be a three-and-D. So for the most part, you got two with length, wing three-and-D type of capability type of guys, Justin Holiday, who can shoot the lights out like Herter, but. He definitely has better defense, and that's going to create a higher case, especially when they made a big trade that we're going to talk about later. But this is something that's going under the radar that's just going to – it's more so fleshing out, you know, what we're going to do in terms of just our system, in terms of just the personnel and play style fit moving forward, especially when you have John Collins and stuff like that. So I like that for the Atlanta Hawks, even though you got – I like Kevin Herter, but it's more so – what you're going to get and what it more so solidifies in the grand scheme of things. So if you have to lose a skilled bucket getter in the, in the, in the process, it is what it is. Right. So when you look at it from that perspective, I definitely like that. And that's going to go under the radar as well, too. And, um, those are the main ones that will go under the radar, but let's talk about the main big trades that kind of like, there's a lot of, you know, signings and all of that type of stuff that happen, but we don't need to talk about those. Obviously, you know, we could talk about those later down the line, but the main, the main three big trade signees, three, four trade big signees. So we'll talk about the first big signe- signee that kind of like, you know, had the NBA kind of like, well, what are they doing? Is the next signing Jalen Brunson on a four-year, $104 million deal? And obviously to the naked eye, it's kind of like, what are you doing, yo? Jalen Brunson, he's not an all-star. He's not this. Yes, he had 141-point game in the playoffs, but you can't overreact to that. The Knicks will always do some Knicks type of thing and all that type of stuff. And I'm like, y'all, y'all got this twisted. One, Jalen Brunson has solid defense, right? Jalen Brunson, they obviously, they had tried the Kemba experiment. They had the Frank Nittakina and what they tried to get the Dennis Smith Jr. They tried a lot of these things, obviously, having Derek Rose there as well too, right? They have a lot of these experiments that they tried there. They're obviously yearning and searching for a point guard, hence why they were all in and trying to get Fred Van Vliet um, last year or whatever, two years, whatever, I'm pretty sure it was last year, trying to get Van Fleet as well, too. So, you know, and again, it's a miniature point guard type of they're willing to give them the bag, but it's not necessarily paying for what the person is. It's paying for what they could be. Jalen Brunson has done damage and has been elite in the role that he's even been given alongside with Luka. Imagine that he's a guaranteed ball handling usage every play. He's bringing up the ball, making decisions type of point guard. He's definitely gonna have drastic amount of numbers. Like it's gonna it's gonna change differently. You you can't just look at the Brunson that existed and think that's the Brunson you're paying for. No, you're paying for how he's going to be. He's gonna get a whole lot of usage. He's gonna get the. He's gonna be more comfortable. He probably won't. He'll be. It's the same thing like Van Vliet. When they you're not paying for the Van Vliet that was alongside with. Kyle Lowry, you're paying for the Van Fleet when Lowry leaves. Now Van Fleet is going to rise to a whole new level because of the usage and the more comfortability. He doesn't have to share time with the ball with this guy. It's more so like, okay, I can operate and I can be comfortable and I have the green light, and then, boom, I just play free for a free-flowing offense, right? And that's what you're going to get from the Jalen Brunson. The fact that he had 41 points once. Remember, that 41 points existed once Luka was out. When Luka came, obviously he struggled finding his rhythm and still had great games alongside with Luka that didn't exceed or reach the same potential as that 41-point game. But again, that 41-point game, if you look at his numbers without Luka, he was eating, eating. And that's what you're going to see or that's what the Knicks feel like they're going to see and that's what they're paying for um, in this four-year development, get better and get better and get better. You're not having a Luka. Even the other guys that are, have a higher usage, or that our star guys like Julius Randle, et cetera, they don't hold the ball like that. They could play off the ball. This guy could kind of dictate what's going on. So I'm not mad at that bag being thrown out. Like we've seen Afrinny e. Simons get a 100 mil bag. Like guys who are, have elite skill and have potential to be an all star, given the right situation, they're definitely going to get nothing less than 90, 95, 100 mil. Like in this newer, um, you know, money, this new whole. Uh, uh, just the money at hand and the money, this new market, just everything at hand, you can kind of see this is what this kind of tier of player dictates and demands. So once one guy gets that, it just rises the stock for the other guys in that kind of tier to get that same type of bag. Because if you don't, it could go to somewhere else that's willing to pay that amount of bag. You can't, teams don't really dictate, like one team doesn't really dictate what you could pay a certain player, the market and the other teams and just. Other players, with their signing kind of dictate what goes at hand. So I'm not too mad at that when you understand the context of everything. Like Jalen, Jalen Brunson definitely is in that realm, right? Like I said, Anthony Simons, there's other guys as well too, right? Like even Nurkic is getting only 70 mil. Like there's other guys even with more at hand, but they're older, got less. So when you have a younger guy who showed that they can rise and rise and rise, you're definitely going to lock them in for that type of bag because in the next year, that bag will even be more that you would have to pay. So lock them in now and, you know, don't even look back. So I definitely am okay with that Jalen Brunson signee. Um, now let's go on to the next one. And this is where, this is the more, the ones that created a more more of a hoopla and got and kind of went went under the radar. But let's just talk about it because I'm not hearing the proper perspective on somebody. So again, let's start with the JaJante Murray trade where the Atlanta Hawks, they traded the uh, Danilo Gallinari and multiple first-round picks to San Antonio for DeJounte Murray. And then Gallinari got bought out and signed with the Celtics. So that's even a great pickup for the Celtics. But um, three first-round picks and a future pick swap to the Spurs for DeJounte Murray. And you could see it's kind of like the Spurs. It's like, wow, this is all you gave up for DeJounte Murray? And it's like, dog, you got to understand, DeJounte Murray – He's only going to get better, and he's elite. We get that, but the spurs as a whole they're not really going anywhere they're going to be stagnant this might is this, this is the opportunity for them to actually rebuild because the stock that you could kind of get or the trade value that you can kind of get might drop. let's say he has a bad year now that everyone's locked into him, and now he doesn't he kind of plays a bit less than what he did last year. You know his stock his value might drop you got to capitalize on his. All-star year. Again, you know, other guys are coming back. Klay's there a full year. Like, he he might not get an all-star if he's in with the Spurs next year, especially if the Spurs play even worse and worse, right? As a team, his chance of being an all-star is even going to drop where it looks to the naked eye. Oh, you missed out. He's not even an all-star anymore. He's decreasing. No, you know, we're not going to give up this much for him. Like, they capitalized on, you know, his breakout year. This was his breakout year. So, you got to capitalize on it. That's why Popovich obviously gave the green light and was like, yo, you could trade him. I'm willing to do it. Not going to hold him hostage for these years. Let him go eat. I like him individually. I like him as a person. Let him go eat, you know, maximize his prime years or not his prime years, but his development. And, you know, just go play while he has, you know, while he's at free flowing and get into his basically best version of himself. Let him go eat and then let us as an organization get these picks and you know we know we going to we going to we going especially you want these picks you want to you want to in these years that you're going to be bad or a below average this is the time where you want to have the picks so then you can actually get proper picks as opposed to trading for a guy when you're kind of decent and the picks you get you're not really going to get elite picks It's going to be bottom tier picks or for the Spurs granted Bottom-tier picks wouldn't even matter because they know how to draft. But still, for this caliber of player, you want to get elite picks. So just do it now while we're bad, while we're guaranteed going to get a top 10 whatever pick, you know? More so. So for the most part, I can understand the thinking from the Spurs organization and Popovich's standpoint. But now let's assess this from the Hawks' standpoint. Like, again, this will be elite if, and this is what I think is going to happen, because the Trey Young and the system that they have at play – this trade doesn't really become elite because if Trey Young's still having the ball in his hand and he's still running the high P and R and shooting the deep threes, get into the floater game and pass into catch and shoot guys. Dejounte Murray's not a catch and shoot player like that. He's a ball handler. So this is where it's like, why did you even trade for that? That doesn't even make sense, right? You need to trade for an elite version of a Clay Thompson who could do both spot up like a Paul George type of player, like. You know, that's what you would trade for to compile with Trey Young, where Trey Young still ball handles. He can pass to a guy who's extreme at shooting. And then when Trey Young goes to the bench, he could ball handle and he could kill in the drop coverage. And he's just unlimited. He could do anything. A D book type of player. Like, that's what you would do to accompany Trey Young. DeJounte Murray is more so limited offensively, but he's still elite offensively, if you get what I'm saying. He's like more so like when you, like the Lucas, the Spencer Dinwiddies, like guys who have a bag. But they're not just going to catch and shoot all the time, even though they can. It's more so they're going to operate off of ISOs. They're going to operate off pick and rolls and playmake. But they're not going to just catch and shoot, come off curl screens, come off pin downs, right? Come off flares. Like They're not going to come off the post. They're going to post. Like They're not going to operate to that kind of magnitude where they could play with anybody's unlimited ability. They need to have the ball in their hands, and you go spot up. So what I can kind of see, I can see that Trey Young... And the Hawks are just getting tired of this Trey Young offense. They they saw it in the playoffs. Like great teams could pad that, where trap the PNR and force other guys to go, kind of go to work. And all year they've just been spotting up as catch and shoot guys. When you lock up Trey Young, trap his PNRs, aggressively guard him, stuff like that. Where remember the system is Trey Young PNR. I get the floater, or I get the mini, or I get the three point line from deep, and. Then I throw alleys, and I throw dimes to guys and catch and shoot. It's kind of the Luka offense. It's kind of the Harden offense. It's kind of even the LeBron offense. You know, this is what the offense is, but Trey Young is very small that there's only so much he could do when you just trap him and force the ball out of his hands, and that's what Miami did, and that's why he had a horrendous, you know, first-round series. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective, adding another ball handler where Trey Young could go off the ball and catch and shoot, Trey Young could you know, come off screens. He could move like Steph because Steph doesn't just ball handle. He plays off the ball a lot of the times where that could unlock Trey Young's game to a whole new level individually. And for a team wise, you're not just going to trap Gisante because that doesn't make sense when you leave Trey Young open or you leave these other shooters open. It don't make sense. Make sure Gisante have to beat you. And when you now do that, now Gisante Gisante could go to, could go to work. He could def, Definitely go to work. He can definitely kill in the midi. He can kill and operate in the paint. He can kill and shoot the three if you sag off. Like, now you add a whole new component to the Hawks' offense where they're more unguardable in a sense. And if they play this way where you let DeJounte ball handle, that's definitely going to be, I can envision where this trade could definitely make the Hawks become that much more dangerous. Like, they can really become a threat. For real, for real. Like. You know what I mean? And then you still keep John Collins. You lost Kevin Herter, like I mentioned before, but you still got John Collins. You still got Capella. You still got, you know, Trey. Now you add DeJounte. You know what I mean? You still got, now you add Justin Holliday. You got Maurice Harkless. Like, you still got these other guys there. Like, this could be, this could do, you know, this could do real, real damage, right? And, I like what I see from this. So now, when Trey isn't on the court, you got a ball handler. Like they'll obviously play both at the same to- same time or one or the other. Similar to like Chris Paul and uh, um um Chris Paul and Devin Booker or Kawhi and PG. Right, you always got one in at all times, Jalen and Jason. Right, same type of thing. So I see that I can if they play the way I think they're gonna play, it could work. If they play the way they've been playing with Trey Young ball handling and Jazante go off the ball, this ain't going to work. So, it depends how they play it, but I'm leaning towards Trey being off the ball more. This could do wonders. This is definitely do wonders and I'm excited to see that kind of duo and I think that they're going to be a problem, yo. I think they're going to be a problem. So, that's my take on that trade. Um Now let's go on to the next trade. This is a sleeper trade. Um Malcolm Brogdon The Indiana Pacers send Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics for Daniel Tice, Aaron Neesmith, a 2023 first-round pick, um, and they're also including Nick Stolz against Malik Fitz and Jawan Morgan. Like, you're basically trading players that weren't in the rotation at all. Other one is Tice. But I think what they're going to do, which is what they should have probably been doing, is that they're going to go to Al Horford playing the five, and... Um, Rob Williams playing the five off the bench. So they're going to interchange. and are not going to play together because that was a mistake when they faced the Golden State Warriors. They lacked playmaking when it came to the Boston Celtics. Not only that, having two bigs in at a time. Remember, they still have Grant Williams. So you have Grant Williams who could play the four, right? And at, at, you know, when you face a big team, you still have the capability to play Horford and um, Rob Will to play the four and five at worst. But, that's not ideal because having Rob Will at the five and, and Horford at the four, you didn't have switchability with all this movement in terms of the Warriors. So Rob Will's instincts is to play the drop. Horford's instincts a lot of the times is to play the drop. Now you have two guys where you can just pick, use them, their man to screen, and that's two guys playing the drop at all times for the most part for games one through four. And that created a hole that they didn't need to be in. And then now game five, certain times in transition, Rob Will to Rob will run to the paint. That's a that's a that's a tongue twister. Rob will, will run to the paint in transition. And when he does that, he kind of just forgets about Draymond. And then Draymond is there setting screens on Steph, on Marcus Smart with Steph Curry on transition. And like Rob Will's in the paint, instincts is to protect the paint. So like having two bigs in does create a defensive liability that creates a defensive mismatch that the Celtics weren't able to recover or overcome. Now, you can kind of have, and then on top of that, you're having Marcus Smart ball handle. You're having Jalen Brown, for the most part, doing a lot of ball handling and Jason Tatum doing a lot of ball handles. Basically, them two doing a lot of ball handling where they get the pick to switch off an iso and they break down, kill the defender, attack the paint, and kick out the threes. At times, it will work. But then when you now trap them or double them and reach on them, they're not poised with the ball. And they had a lot of turnovers, which now it's an uphill battle. And why they're losing these games and why they lost the finals. Games that they should have won, they lost because of turnovers. Like, off, their defense, for the most part, even though it was bad, they still contained, for the most part, overall. Obviously, in certain moments, I thought it was bad defense. And I thought if they played better defense, they could have still won. But even with that defense, if they secured the ball, didn't turn over the ball, they could have won the ring, and I know they're kicking themselves, which is why they made this trade ASAP. Malcolm Brogdon, who's a poised point guard, has done 50-40-90, can shoot the three, can create in the midi, can floater, could euro, could finish in the paint, you know what I mean? Can shoot the three, like I said, can shot create when need be, has great defense, but then the ball handling, very poised, knowing who to go to, just... Knowing you know, picking poison. No, we're going to Tatum on the post. Let Tatum operate in the post instead of ball handling. Let Jalen operate in the post instead of ball handling where Brogdon can now bring it up. Marcus Smart, go back to your defense and spot up. And you can cook here and there when you get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, Brogdon just makes everybody fit into their positions more so. The fact that they were going into an unnatural positions, Jalen Brown doing way more ball handling than need be. Jason Tatum doing way no more ball handling than need be. Marcus Smart doing way more ball handling than need be. Now they're going to... And they still went to the finals and lost by two games. Now these guys will go more into their, their solidified elite roles where Jason Tatum could now go on the block, get it, and just focus on score. Obviously, when he's passing the rock, will happen. Now that his brain is even aware to more passing type of capabilities and skill that he's added, he's just more awareness offensively. So he's still going to pass. And now the, the times he gets it, he has more room and more real estate to work with in terms of scoring. Jaylen, uh, uh, Malcolm Brogdon does the same thing for Jalen Brown. Like, now they can focus more so on scoring because Malcolm Brogdon is going to set the table. That does wonders for this team. And that makes them even better than they were last year drastically, even though they already were good last year. Like, this solidifies a lot of things. Just sometimes having a one guy make everybody else ease their roles definitely is another improvement a this by subtraction right type of thing so Daniel Typool is becoming unplayable so for the most part again they'll have Grant Williams will get more minutes right they'll have Grant Williams playing the four Tatum playing the four interchangeable how Horford and Rob will play the five and they just sub each other out and you have a lot of you know they're probably their, their starting lineup will probably be Brogdon smart Brown Tatum horford that's a great starting lineup then off the bench, you insert, you know, Rob Will, the sub, Horford out. Grant Williams, to sub out Tatum or Brown, one of them is still in, right? And then when one gets subbed out, then Marcus Smart can go to the slide to the one, right? Because he's still there, right? Or you know, it's just, you know, you still have Pritchard. Like, you still have guys there, too. So, I like this team and what they're building um, and how they're just becoming, they're becoming an elite, elite team, like, one or two seed guaranteed in the East next year. So, for the most part, I like that, and this is the great sleeper trade. They're like, I was shocked that they were able to pull this off for the most part. like, This is eliteness. This is eliteness. So it's what elite looks like. I like that trade definitely for the Celtics, man, because that's why they lost, man. Playmaking, turnovers, like, horrendo. So now let's look at the last one we're looking at. Oh, my goodness, man. Let's look at this one. This one right here, man. We're going to look at this one and dissect this one. This is the Rudy Gobert trade, and this is the one that a lot of people are saying is going to be elite for the Wolves. Again, you're giving up a lot of money. What is that, 400 mil plus, 200 mil each to each guy, Towns and Rudy Gobert? Now, again, you have your own twin towers. Yes, Rudy at the five, Towns at the four, but I'm going to dissect this because a lot of people are looking at it from this angle. They're not assessing what was successful for the Wolves last year and how you're drastically changing that. It's not as drastic in certain points, but it is drastic. And I'm a I'ma I'm a show y'all and go into that context. So understanding, let's let's look at this from this perspective. Um, Rudy Gobert is elite rim protector, right? He has no bag offensively. Even if he has a mismatch, he can't even score on them. And I'm not going to just kill him because. That's a niche in this NBA. You see the Tyson Chandlers. You see the Rudy Goberts, You see the DeAndre Jordans. Like, you've seen a lot of them, right? JaVale McGee operated like this, but JaVale McGee added at least a hook, and he added something there. But you see the Bismacks, the Bismack Bionbos. Like, you've seen a lot of these type of centers where they just, they're just lob threats Capellas, right? Even though Capella has been able to finish with even a mismatch. But for the most part, on an everyday basis, those centers operate this type of mold. This type of prototype, right, where they're athletic can run protect, but they do have defensive mishaps. Some of them are elite at switch abilities and stuff like that, but they do have defensive mis mishaps where they're gonna play the drop coverage for the most part. And then when they play the drop coverage, skilled sc- scorers in this league, skilled three point shooters in this league, are gonna abuse you. Now, when you have to switch, they're gonna abuse you on the one on one mismatch, right? Not only that, now you're just you can't now when you have to – the other team goes small ball and you have to guard a guy who's – and they're playing a 5 out. You have to guard another shooter like when Rudy Gobert had to guard Terrence Mann. They're going to abuse you because your instincts is to roam to the paint and help, 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 and you're leaving Terrence Mann wide open and he's splashy if you ask me. So when you look at it from that perspective, this is why the Wolves were elite last year or they were good and they overachieved while they went under the radar and they were killing, getting a seventh seed like – they're, they, they operated with Towns at the five. They didn't have two bigs. They never played two bigs. Towns was at the five, and who subbed out Towns was Nas Reed. Towns was playing the five, similar to, like, if you let or made Horford play the five, where they could shoot the three. There's, there are three-level scores, but obviously Towns is a way more better version of what Horford is. His shoot, three-point shooting is way better. He has a bag. He can go to the post. Like, he's skilled, could ball handle. Like, he's, he's, he's a superstar, right, when you look at it from Towns. But a lot of why Towns was able to eat was the play style and the fit that they had at hand. Vanderbilt was their power forward. Vanderbilt did not shoot any three. He had no space in for his life, dependent on it. He can't shoot, period. But he was a wing. He's a 6'9", small forward, power forward, wing, athletic, mobile, wing. So his defense that he had did wonders for them, right? He could switch everything. He's not like he's a wing. Like he's playing like KD as a wing. Like not not like skill-wise offensively, no. We're talking about just mobile. Like you could switch. You're switching. You could guard, you know, ball handle, guard the one, guard one through four type of like that's what Vanderbilt was. And it let Towns be the five. Now, Vanderbilt had no space and he was doing the – he was playing in the dunker spot a lot of the times roaming around, and stuff like that. But Towns can shoot a three, so it doesn't matter. But when Vanderbilt will come out the game, Towns is having, for the most part, Towns is having a big on him. So that even creates spacing for Edwards and stuff like that. But now when Vanderbilt comes out the game, they bring in who? McDaniels, who's another same wing length, six nine six eight wing type of capability, but he shoot, shoots shoots. So now Towns had the whole paint, the whole real estate to operate with. If you go back and watch the footage, go look at their dynamic. Malik Beasley will come in. Vanderbilt will come in. McLaughlin will come in. Towns will still be at the five when Vanderbilt goes to the bench. And Ed- Edwards will be out the game. and literally be McLaughlin, Malik Beasley, Torian Prince, and uh, McDaniels. Those are shooter shooters. While T- Towns has the whole paint to operate. So that's why he went into the paint and posted up more when he was having those guys there. And that could still exist with Rudy Gobert, because when Rudy Gobert goes to the bench, Towns will have more real estate. So that won't really change that much. But when Vanderbilt was in the game with Towns, even though he was in the dunker spot, Towns was operating in the PNR. Towns was having still real estate to work with. It wasn't like Vanderbilt was just like a big sitting in the paint, where now the big is guarding him. So now that big is helping on Towns' buckets. You know what I'm saying? The big was guarding Towns. Sorry about that. The big was Garden Towns. Towns wasn't at the four. So even though they had no space in, it didn't really matter that much because that's a four, a power four that's Garden Vanderbilt. So Towns, it's even if it's a guy helping you, it's a smaller guy. Granted, Jaron Jackson was at the four and he was but he was still. You know what I mean? He gets towns can move. The way he could move, he could adjust and stuff like that and still finish even with jaron jackson guarding him where now if towns is at the four let's say that's jaron jackson guarding him and he beats jaron jackson now that's adams that's helping that's an actual center center helping where now it's different now it's different when a big big is helping as a smaller guy who has length is helping it's two different things and that will affect towns drastically because gobert and oh gobert even how he moves in the dunker spot he's not going to know how to move he's A big man is like Capella, Gobert, Chandler, like McGee, like them in the dunker spot. They don't know how to move mobile around in the midi to the free throw line, to the elbow, to the uh, short, short corner. Like they don't know how to move where Vanderbilt kind of knows how to move. And you can kind of just lose him in sight because he's a wing. So you're kind of like, okay, he's just there, whatever. Then he slides in the back there and gets a dunk. Right. Stuff like that, where a bigger body like Gobert, you're not going to forget about him. And the centers guarded him too, so like it's just clogging more. The clogging is more um um dramatic in terms of just him being at the five, and that's gonna definitely clash with Towns. Even though Towns can shoot the three, and it won't matter matter. What's gonna happen now is to use Gobert a lot. You're going especially with D'Lo. Like D'Lo kills in the PNR, Edwards as well too. Like even though Edwards can ISO and even D'Lo can ISO, but just so you have to use Gobert, or else why did you pay to get him? Why the hell did you pay to get him if you're not going to use him? You have to use him. Him just being in the dunker spot the whole time makes no sense. So what's going to happen is now Towns' numbers is going to drop. Why? Because Towns is going to be like Horford, where I'm just going to have to just camp at the three-point line, kind of like Porzingis when he was with Luka. I'm going to have to camp at the three-point line, and I'm going to get lost in the shuffle at times. You're going to see Towns go multiple possessions, five-minute quarters. You're going to see him go five-minute stretches with not even a shot attempt. Because Gobert's running the actions, you're running the PNR, you're running this thing with Gobert, with Gobert, with Gobert. He gets a lob, he gets this, he gets that, and then Towns is just chilling at the three point, giving spacing so you could do your shit. And that's why Horford at times will go away without touching the rock and without even having a point, unless now a guy helped and rotated, and now Towns is open. Like, but for the most part, when Towns was there, he was involved in everything because he was at the five. Like, it's different, it's different dynamics. So. Different play style, different just positioning, different people who's guarding you, different cross matches. Like when you look at it from that perspective, Towns is definitely going to be affected. And I um I don't know if it's drastically or if it's just a little bit. That will you know in due time will tell. But if I had to guess, I think it's going to be drastically when Gobert's in the game when he's out the game, you're going to see Towns back to his normal self. But that's why that team was so difficult because Towns was like similar to Embiid. They're a five. But they have the movement of a four over three, and it makes them different. It makes them so different. They can pick pop, and then that centers out the paint. And the other guys can kill. Like there's so many things that they do as a chain reaction that they open up just by their play style and by their skill set. So now you're cutting that off by having him at the four with Bear there. So I didn't like this, especially what you're giving up. Like you're giving up Malik Beasley. Like you're giving up Beasley. You're giving up Patrick Beverly. You're giving up. Um, Kessler and then Jared Vanderbilt as well. Those main three guys, they were heavy in the rotation. Beasley, Beverly and Vanderbilt. You're giving that up for Goldbear who at times in the playoffs, when other teams go small, but the teams that are contenders can go small, he's going to be unplayable. Or if they don't go small, they got a center like Jokic who can pick and pop. So you're going to need Towns to guard him because Goldbear is just going to be in the paint, drop coverage. Jokic is going to kill. Like, you, I, I, don't, I don't like this move at all. I think it's a stupid move to be honest. Like, if I'm the organization for the, for the Timberwolves, I'm going to add on what I have. I'm going to get more wings. I'm going to add on what I have because Nas Reed and Towns as a five interchangeable is beautiful, especially because Nas Reed even can ball handle too, Euro punches, Euro dunks, like, stuff like that. Like, he even can shoot a little bit. He just has to be given the green like to shoot more. But for the most part, like, those two guys at the five is great depth and great versatility Where now you have one guy who's so one-dimensional. I, I don't know. I just don't like the fit because Nasreed is still there as well, too. So you're going to see Gobert is going to be unplayable at times. And it's like you actually paid money for this guy just to not play him, especially when it matters. So I don't know. I don't like this trade, man. I don't like it at all. I don't know what the Timberwolves are doing. I hope they don't shoot themselves in the foot because Vanderbilt was crucial. Pat Bev was crucial. And Malik Beasley was hella crucial. Like, come on now. Like, I no. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know. I didn't I didn't like that at all. You lost two 3-D guys and a great wing defender who got bare offensive rebounds. Like, you lost? I don't know. I didn't like that. I didn't like that, man. I just don't like it. We'll see. Only time will tell, obviously, with all of these. But this is kind of like my my kind of just IQ. That's what I do on what has happened in terms of just the big name trades and free agent sign-ins. And we still got, you know, we're still waiting on some. We don't know what's going to happen with the KD trade. You know, obviously, Kyrie as well, too. Then we still maybe they still stay because you know I don't know we'll talk about that but for the most part again this is the the you know, the more elite signings that I liked ones that went under the radar ones that I didn't like that most people did like but again I'm just not plugged in the matrix so again it's true talks it's true talks share like and subscribe we out here there's no doubt here there's no doubt here you feel me I appreciate y'all you already know spread the word share like and subscribe click that notification button so you know when I'm here. Cause I'm here. You feel me? I appreciate y'all. You already know. And I'm out, man.